Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and sitting on my far right, which is where normally Doug is, is Doug Shaw of Forthright Ministries. Uh, Doug, welcome back to our podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. Do you like being on the far right? I do. It's it's a better <laughs> better position. On the left, though, is where you're supposed to be, I think. So um, I'm, on, I'm on the left, then? Yeah, you're on the better side. I'm on the far left? Okay. Well, I might just get fired from my job for saying that, but <laughs> but anyway, all right. So, Doug, we want to talk about um, your latest ministry trek. Now, your your ministry. First off, tell us about your ministry because it has taken you literally across the world and within the United States. You're you're in Costa Rica. You're in parts of Africa. So, uh, remind us of of what Forthright Ministries is all about. Well, the weird thing is, so Forthright Ministries started off as a, an assistant marketing ministry. Mm-hmm. Our goal was to help other ministries with marketing and leadership and yeah. things like that. Um, what ended up happening was a few years ago, we started to see there was a shift taking place, both in my life and just being revealed certain things, where I realized most pastors didn't either need or want marketing assistance. Yeah. So there was some different things that were going what I really realized was that most pastors, when I said, hey, I want to come and help you for free, they always thought there was a catch somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of one of these things where I had a guy call me up and say, hey, I'm going to India. Will you go with me and help market what I'm doing? And so we went to India. And while we were there, we were with this group called the Sora people. And we're way back in the jungles. And so I started asking some questions and found out these people had only really known the modern world for about 25 years and uh, well that's kind of interesting like yeah. to be with a group that didn't know electricity didn't know running water nothing 25 right. years ago and now and so as we were talking I, I said well wait a minute I started doing research trying to figure out you know who they were and all I could find from like National Geographic and they was oh they're pagan people and they kidnap wives from other tribes right. and they go well that's not what I'm seeing I'm seeing a group of people who love God and they're trying to spread the gospel. And I, I said something like, under my breath, I said, well, you know, God, who's who's going to tell their story? Hmm. And God goes, well, you can. And I said, no, 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 I do marketing, <laughs> I do graphic design, all this kind of stuff. And it was just, it was clear, you should do it. And so I started, I started doing like random film on that trip because all I had with me was a, a SLR camera, take photographs and some video, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I just started filming everything instead of doing photography. Yeah. And so I came back and I was sitting at home, and it had been probably about a year. We had a guy come to our church and he started praying over me and he said, "Hey, God's going to reveal or open your heart to the Native American people." Hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat because my goal had been to work with tribal people around the world, but to take video equipment and everything around yeah. the world is incredibly expensive, cumbersome. You know, you're taking all this stuff on an airplane, you got to pay for all the extra baggage, everything like that. I said, man, I don't know how to do that. And this guy said, well, what about Native American people? I said, that sounds exciting, but I don't know any Native American people. Um, about... A few weeks later, I was going through my Facebook, and I see this family that I had met one time in Texas was living up in Bemidji, Minnesota. And I said, well, that's kind of cool. I've been to Bemidji many years ago, and Bemidji has a reservation up there called the Red Lake Reservation, and it's among the Ojibwe people. So I said, well, let me call these people and see if they have any connections. So I called them, and I said, do you guys have a connection? They said, no, but our pastor might. 
Pastor gets back to him and says, yeah, we know this one church up here that they can, he can connect with. So he gives me this guy's phone number. His name was Pastor Maynard LaValle. I call Pastor Maynard up. He's an Ojibwe guy. And he's got this thriving ministry on, on the reservation. And so I said, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I want to come up and film your testimony. And he goes, okay, when do you want to come up? And I'm like, wait, this is happening way too easy. I've been in ministry my whole life. Ministry yeah. never happens like that easy for me. And so it was funny because when they first gave me his phone number, I sat on it for two weeks going, this is all happening way yeah. too quick, and I don't understand it. So I called him up, and he said, yeah, you can come up. And then he called me about a month later or a couple of weeks later, and he says, hey, when you come up, I just got word that I'm going to actually, the doctors say I'm not going to make it past 30 days. I have cancer, and I'm not going to make it. Um, he goes, but God has already told me I'm going to have more years, so I'm trusting in that, not in this. I said, okay, cool. So we ended up going up there, spent a week, had a great time with the Ojibwe people, and uh, God just opened the doors and then ended up introducing me to a guy named Jimmy Muskrat. Um, Jimmy Muskrat is a uh, Cherokee guy. Uh, he's actually from the Katua band of the Cherokee and down in Oklahoma. And so I connected with him. He ended up getting me out to South Dakota. We've been to Pine mm -hmm. Ridge, spent a few weeks there. One of the neat things in Pine Ridge with the Lakota is they actually don't even let most white men come onto the reservation. It's very hard to get in there to be, other than to be a tourist, you know. Yeah. Um, and I spent a week there, and they ended up letting me preach. And at the end, what was neat was they came up, and they wrapped a blanket around me. And I said, well, what's this mean? He goes, you're part of the Lakota now. They've accepted you as part mm -hmm. of the people. And I thought, well, that's, like, that was one of the more powerful things that's ever happened yeah. in ministry was to have that, that aspect. What was really neat about this was going back to the early 2000s, I had traveled with Timmy Timbo, who was a South African drama team. And our whole point was reconciliation. Yeah. And now I see that God is doing that again mm -hmm. by using this white guy among among these people uh, one of the other cool things about that was there was an you know in, in the native culture you want to get in touch with the elders the elders if, if you can get the elders on your side you're good to go and there was a, an elder that was there when I first got there she just looked at me and said hi and walked away and it was very clear she couldn't understand why this white guy was there yeah she ended up being the last interview we did of the week and I got to know her along the week and everything that we were up there. And then she came to me and she says, you know, you come back whenever you want and it doesn't have to be for ministry. And then she took me out to her family's um, grave site to show me the grave sites and, mm -hmm. and give me like the history of her family. And that was the most powerful thing for me was to go, wow, here's an older person who is pretty set in their ways and has now told me I can come back whenever I want. And so at that point, Jimmy and I were talking, hey, we need to go and do a Trail of Tears trip. Yeah. And so it's been a couple of years of planning and trying to figure out how we would do it. And so back in, shoot, when was it? November. We actually spent about two weeks on the road retracing the entire Trail of Tears, going down to Cherokee, North Carolina, and then all the way out to Oklahoma. So remind everyone who hasn't sat in my history class in a while, what is the Trail of Tears? So the Trail of Tears is very... It's a horrible thing, but it's it's very interesting. Basically, what happened was Andrew Jackson found out through people that there was gold in the hills, and he wanted the gold out on the East Coast. 
and they decided to just move these these people out. It was about five tribes all together. It was the Cherokee. Um, there was a few other groups. Uh, Chickasaw was another tribe, and then there's a couple other ones. And uh, they basically just moved these people out. Yeah. They rounded them up, moved them to miniature concentration camps for a short time, and then stockades, basically, and then moved them from the stockades. They didn't let them really take anything with them. They just grabbed them out of their area and took them. What, what was interesting to me was studying going into this trip. You know, you want to understand a little bit before you get there. Yeah. Came across a story about Jackson... And I didn't realize this, that back in 1813, there was this attack on Fort Mims, which is down in Louisiana. Andrew Jackson goes in a few weeks later, and it was uh, the Creek Indians had gone in and just slaughtered these people in this, this fort. And the whole battle was actually kind of interesting the way it happened. But they slaughtered them. Yeah. Andrew Jackson goes in and has to be part of the cleanup team. And, and what happened to these people was absolutely horrific. And so part of my desire to understand is how did Andrew Jackson come to this place where he's also going to round up all these innocent yeah. Cherokee people who were never a problem in history. Like, if you go back and look, the Cherokee were actually respected by most political leaders. They they had a system that was honored. It was kind of interesting. How do we all of a sudden decide to round them up? Yeah. And I, I kind of wonder if it didn't go back to that time in his earlier life where he saw the capabilities of the Native American people, even though it might have been the wrong tribe or anything right. like that. And he goes, hey, this is who they are. And he decides, hey, we're going to you know, go aggressively yeah. against them. Now, that's not to say he was innocent in what he did, because if you go through history, it's weird. It's all a tit-for-tat kind of yeah. game all throughout history. If, if the white man did something horrible, the Native Americans would do something equally horrible back and vice versa. If the Native Americans right. did it first and the white man... Um, so what ended up happening is they, they round up all these people in the mid-1800s and they decided to ship them from North Carolina all the way out to Oklahoma. And they went from North Carolina through Georgia, through Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, Illinois, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, and then down to Oklahoma. Yeah. And it ended up being the coldest winter in history. Um, a lot of people died from freezing to death. They lost thousands of people into the rivers because the they were on these barges that would tip over and it was you know they really didn't care if they killed them at yeah. the end of the day and the idea was they just take them out to Oklahoma and leave them there and so that's what they did they just rounded them up moved them and that's what ended up happening so so you're you're traveling this same path basically yes. but you're not alone no, I ended up doing the trip with my friend Jimmy Muskrat, and one of the things that we wanted to do was do it together as a Native guy and a white man yeah. traveling it together as brothers in Christ, because the idea was to show that reconciliation could take place, and that through Christ, you know, all that history and everything, it didn't matter because we are one in Christ, yeah. and so that was one of our big focal points, and what was, what was incredible for me was... You know, you set out to do a documentary and you don't really understand how the story's going to go exactly. Yeah. You go, okay, we're going to go from point A to point B, but what's the story? You know, what's the, right. what's the appeal? What's going to... And what was neat was, as we were traveling this, Jimmy began to tell me, you know, when I did this, he had originally rode the Trail of Tears on a bicycle back in the 1984. 
And as he was explaining, as we would go to these different locations, he'd say, you know, this is the spot where I got really angry and I threw my bike into the ditch and said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, why? He said, well, this is the spot where they had to choose their children over their own life. Yeah. You know, they come to a river and they'd have to say, okay, do I want to try to swim across with my baby or do I leave my baby on the shore and make it myself? Do I swim across with my baby or do I let my baby go halfway across and then hopefully I can survive the rest of the trip? And he said, I got so angry over the babies. And he says, you know, I held on to the anger for so many years, but when I found Christ, that anger disappeared. And so as we were doing this trail again, he starts telling these stories. And I said, boy, so Christ helped you overcome this anger and hatred and bitterness. It, that's what brought the healing was your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, the Holy Spirit came in and, and touched my life. As we did this trip again, there was one spot where we came to where I could see he got really emotional. And I thought, okay, what's happening? And when we got to the end, I did kind of a follow-up interview. And I said, hey, you know, we, we had this one spot where I could tell. He's like, yeah, that anger started coming back. But as soon as it did, he goes, I realized my ancestors who traveled that trail, we found his name on placards of yeah. some of the, the families that had come through. He said, you know, my ancestors never knew that I would be sharing the gospel and going back and doing this again. Mm. And he said, that's what kept me going, was was understanding that I was bringing the healing for my family. Yeah. And so it was it was an incredibly powerful. I mean, when you see some of these mountain switchbacks that they would go up and yeah. down. I mean, we were in a vehicle and I felt like stressed just from yeah. driving it. And you go, wow, and they were doing this with like 50, 60 year old ladies and men and yeah. babies and things like that and, and just marching them straight through it. It had to have been horrible. You know. I, I can't even imagine the anger I would have because in some sense it's justified because I mean that what happened was real right and what happened was so horrific like by modern standards like I, I can't even fathom how how people could treat other people this way that and that was the thing was to actually see it firsthand to touch it and see these yeah. hills and see what was going on. And, you know, we even talked with a guy. We went to a museum out in Cherokee, North Carolina. And I got the chance to talk with this awesome young guy who, historian, you know, he's probably in his 20s, but history-wise, he's in his, like, 80s. Like, just understood everything yeah. historical. And he had so much bitterness towards the white people. And it, it was, you know, he's trying to be nice during the, right. end, during the tour, but you could just see it. And I had this chance to sit down with him at the end. We Somehow we got pulled aside and I got to talk with him one-on-one -on -one. and and we got to talk about faith and things like that and it was incredible because I somehow through God and and being able to just be real with him and just yeah. you know like yeah this is part of our history but and we ended up having a good like 20 minute conversation hmm. and at the end he's like you know you can come back whenever you want and I'd love to talk with you more and it, it was just like, but to see his aspect of it and his interpretation, right. his family, his ancestors had gone to Oklahoma but had returned. He had returned back to the homeland of, of Cherokee, North Carolina. And you go, wow, you know. One of the things that was hard for me was the storyline 
comes down to basically two Cherokee guys go up to Washington D.C. and sign a pact saying, "Yeah, we'll leave, yeah. we'll leave the East Coast." And there's a lot of hatred towards these two guys, and and like they represented all of Cherokee Nation, and they didn't stand in any authority to represent right. Cherokee Nation. So they go up to the the capital and they say, "The Cherokees will leave this area, you know, whatever." Jackson comes in, grounds them all up, and sends them out anyways, and. You know, now he did it because they had signed a uh, pact saying, yeah, "Yeah, we'll leave. And, you know, I I talked to Jimmy about halfway through the trip, and I said, you know, question for you. I said, I keep trying to figure out these two guys. Like, why are they hated so much? What would have happened if the Cherokee would not have left? If the Cherokee would have stood their ground and left, obviously the military had the the capability of rounding them up and just slaughtering them at that point. So he's like, you know, I never thought of it that way. I said, if it wasn't for those two guys going out and speaking, and I'm not even, I don't know what their reasoning was. I don't know that they had good intentions. I don't know. But had they not done what they'd done, the Cherokee people could have been wiped off the face of the earth at that moment. And so I said, it's kind of interesting because we don't know what their full intentions were. But, but yeah, the, the bitterness is very much uh, reasonable. I'm curious, how, how did that, how did you handle that on a personal level? Because at the, at those moments, you're the face they're looking at, right? And and you represent all of that to them. That and that's the thing is, that, you know, to tell the guy, the guy says, "Well, you know, what are you doing here?" I said, "I'm just here to tell stories." Yeah, I'm just here to document the story so the story can be told. Well, what do you get out of it? I said, "Nothing. We don't charge for anything. We're not making money off of this. It's not right. like." He says, so you genuinely just do this? Yeah. This is my heart is just to share the story. My And it's hard because sometimes you sit there and you know that the people are mad at you because of your skin color. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what I did to them or, right. you know, my ancestors probably had nothing to do with the Indian Removal Act of 1836 or whatever year yeah. it was. But for whatever reason, I am the face of the white man to yeah. them. You know, and it's like... It is hard because you understand that they're looking at you and going, you're, you're the enemy. You're the reason our people are where yeah. we are now, and that's kind of a mentality. And yet you have to remember, I, I guess, like without sounding super spiritual, that's what Christ went through. You yeah. know, like he was hated just because right. of who he was. And you go, well, if he could deal with the stuff he went through, I guess I right. can put up with a little uncomfortableness here and there, you know, yeah. and... And I think there's also kind of that, the not so spiritual side of it of, that's where a good story comes from. <laughs> like right. you know, if you want, if you really want to get the truth of the matter, go in and be the bad guy in the good guy situation and, yeah. and get the truth. And so you know, it's it's kind of a, a cross of that's where the story comes from, but that's also what we believe as Christians is, you know, you can't always be in the comfortable situations, right. and you got to get awkward. We just recorded a podcast the other day. Ministry is messy. Yeah. So you got to get messy. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I went to, I think the the most messy spot that I've ever been in is when we went to India, and the guys came up. We were in an area where they hated Christians. They they hated Christians, and we landed and we met with our the pastor, who's a very you know well known pastor in the area and everything like that. He says, "I got to take your picture." And I said, well, why do you have to take my picture? He says, well, I have to turn it into the police department. And if they see you preaching, they will arrest you on site. Hmm. 
He says, so I take your picture and they're going to put it up on the wall and then they will be looking for you while you're here. And I said, okay. So he takes my picture and he says, now the next question is, do you want to preach tomorrow? Mm. You know, and he has like open wall churches yeah. where the cops are walking by looking in and you go, yeah, that's what I'm here for. You know, ministry is not, right. it's not supposed to be all fun and games and you'd be kind of hard pressed to find anything in the Bible that says it is. Right. Like, we and this, we were kind of talking about this before. Faith in America is very easy to right. some extent. It's easy to be a Christian in America to some extent. Nobody really cares. I mean, we're kind of coming into a spot where there's more persecution yeah. now. Um, but that compared to being in a Muslim nation or, right. or even Africa where there's Sangomas witch doctors and Hispanic nations where the cartels don't want you there. I think that's one of the things that we're stumbling into now with working with the Native American people is understanding that the cartels are involved with a lot of the the missing and, and endangered indigenous women. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It's like, it's one of these things where I keep going to my wife saying, you know, I think we might want to look into this more, but you understand this could put a target on us right. if we start really getting into this. Um, but there's this big thing, and a lot of people don't even realize that there's this huge problem with missing and endangered uh, indigenous yeah. women, where Native American women are disappearing from tribal lands all over America, and they're never seen again. And these are not drug addicts. They're not drunkards. They're not. Right. There's nothing wrong with these women. They just disappear. And um, what they're finding is it's largely attached to the cartels. They're coming up, taking yeah. the women, and going back to Mexico with them. And... You know, it's weird because if you ask anybody outside of the reservation, oh, we don't know who's doing it. You know, it's probably the natives are doing it to each other. But if you get into the reservations and you start talking, they say, oh, no, we know who's doing it. Yeah. You know, and so it's there is a messiness to ministry because the more you see the evil of the world, the more you have to paint a target on it, which puts you into a yeah. target from the spiritual realm. And, and you know, that's right. one of the hard things, I think, for christians to understand in america is that there is a spiritual realm yeah we we are very much content with understanding the bible and church and singing and in, our, in our conservative christian circles we don't talk about things like right that. they don't exist yeah like it, it just doesn't but when you go to other nations and you start actually seeing the spiritual realm firsthand right you know when you see witch doctors out in the field holding a service and you're holding children in your hands that were sacrificed to spirit gods yeah and, and they were saved at some point, you know, and, and one of the churches I work with in Africa, they have children that were being sacrificed to river gods, and now you're holding the baby in your hand because somebody intercepted it. Yeah. And you go, okay, this is crazy. And they believe wholeheartedly that the the medicines and those things work. There's not a doubt in their mind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, ministry is messy. And you're willing to do all of that for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, because I, I don't see any other reason not to. I mean, it's... I think part of it comes from my love of Indiana Jones as a kid. Like, <laughs> like it's like... I was expecting the super <clears throat> spiritual yeah. reason, but no. you go to Indiana Jones. Okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think there's an aspect of understanding culture and, yeah. and learning about different people. But there is that aspect of God called us to go to all the world. Right. And I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could easily do what I'm doing if it wasn't for an actual call on my life. Yeah. And, and so... Like, I sit back and I go, why is nobody else doing this? This is the coolest thing that anybody could do. I get to go out and meet Native Americans and, and hear the stories that go back only a couple of generations than when they were, you know, riding horses. Right. You know, things like that. And I'm like, 
this is incredible. And and people, some people just look at me going, why are you so excited about this? And I go, because God put it in my yeah. heart. God, you know, when the guy said, well, God's going to give you a heart for the Native American people, I said, I already had that. As a kid, I, I grew up just down the street here in Beloit, and I'd dig up my backyard looking for arrowheads. Hmm. My mom would come out and go, what did you do? And I'd have these four-foot-deep <laughs> holes that I would go down into. And she said, you can't do that. And I said, no, you know, the Beloit College over here, I spent all my summers playing at the Beloit College, going through the museum, looking at Native yeah. American stuff. And when I was in Boy Scouts, my goal was to be Order of the Arrow. Yeah. It was a, a Native American aspect to the Boy Scouts. Let's not go there because I'm still bitter because I never made it. Oh, well, I, I did. I, I had the banner. That's all I had. <laughs> I didn't get anywhere else in it. But, you know, that thing has always been in my heart. And, you know, you see a lot of people say, oh, if you could do what you do- wanted to do as a child, would you still get to do it? And I go, yeah, I actually am doing my childhood passion. And yet, instead of deal- dealing with, like, dead people that have, can't talk to me, I'm hearing the stories from the right. people who are alive. And, you know, it all comes down to the book of Revelations. There's a verse that says, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right. And that was our goal from day one, was to go in and find the testimonies. Because so many Native American people do live in depression. They live in drug addictions. They live in alcoholism, sexual abuse. Um, even prostitution of children has been something we've come across many times. And, you know, you okay, these are, we've done 100 interviews. And we have found these horrific stories in some cases. Yeah. And some of them are so bad that I go, how do I even use this in a ministry setting? Because the stories are graphic. Yeah. But they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. If I can say I've been through this horrible thing and say Jesus brought me out of it, Jesus brought healing into my life, that is a testimony that nobody can deny. So you have seen the powerful hand of God at work in ways that other people haven't. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's one guy we met who was from Canada, and his testimony... You know, that was our first, like, real set of testimonies. And my wife and I are sitting there. I'd never done interviews like this before. And we're filming this guy tell the story. And my wife is crying. I'm over there getting teared up. But I can't, like, stop. Because, we're you know, it's like doing the podcast right now. We can't stop and really take a break and then come back. I'm sitting there just, like, trying to hold back the emotion as he's talking about, um, you know, without getting too graphic... He was taken to the woods by a group of guys. They sexually assaulted him, tied him to a tree, and left him to die naked. And he goes, you know what the the really sad thing was? They were church people. And he says, you know, God, I love you, but some of your people, they give me the creeps. Yeah. You know, and and he's telling us the story. And you go, how in the world does somebody like you go through that and find your way out and find your way to God at the end? And not hold on to the bitterness and the angerness, yeah. the anger that you should have, and rightfully so. And he says, but, you know, God called me. I was sitting in a church one night, and God spoke to me. And he said, he spoke to me as clear as day. Hmm. And he said, I have a calling for you. I have a, a love for you. And he said, I was sitting in an abandoned church. He goes, I would just go there to think. And, you know, he goes, God called me into the yeah. ministry from that place. And... You take a story like that, and you talk to other people who've been through bad things, but you go, look what this guy's been through. Yeah. And he was able to let go of it and move on. 
And not only was he able to move on from the people, but he was able to move past the fact that they were supposedly Christians. Right. You know, we like to hold on to, oh, the Christians hurt me. The Christians did yeah. this. The Christ and, and that's been one of the things, too, is looking at this and going, okay, part of the Native American history is understanding these schools and the things that yeah. the schools did to the people and whatever denomination it was. I don't care if they're Catholic, Methodist, Lutherans, whoever it was. There was bad things that were happening across the board. You say, okay, what happened? And that's been one of my questions as we've been doing yeah. this. How do I get past that aspect of it? And that was one of the conversations I had with this guy out in North Carolina. I said, you know what's interesting is when those people were doing those horrible things that you're talking about, and, you know, right as we were getting into this is when they started finding the mass graves in Canada yeah. and the schools and things like that. I said, they were never following the spirit of, of Christ. Right. They, they, weren't in, they weren't operating in the Holy Spirit. They weren't operating as according to God. They were uh, operating in legalism and in these, these mentalities of what they thought God wanted from them. And they were not in line yeah. with Scripture. If you go and you approach the native of people in line with scripture, it changes the whole way yeah. you approach them because you're not trying to change the person. Right. You're only worried about the heart. Yeah. And God can take care of all the other changes. So, you know, I had my father-in-law knew a guy who was a first nation or first contact missionary in, in Brazil. And, you know, he'd deal with these people who didn't wear clothes. Well, did you worry about it? No, I never worried about their clothes. That's not what I'm there for. I'm there for their heart. Yeah. God can teach them or convict them or of whatever right. he feels the need to convict them of. But that's why not why we're there, you know. And that's that's the thing. I don't go to work with the Native American people. And actually, one of my goals from the beginning was not to preach to the Native Americans. My goal was to go and share their story. And through that and not going in and not trying to preach is probably opened more doors for me to share the gospel because I didn't go in with that agenda. All right, we got to stop there. My next interview is here. All right. So we got to get rid of you quickly. Sounds no, good. No, but tell us, uh, how do we find out more about Forthright? So if you want to find Ministry. out more, you go to forthrightministries.com or forthrightfilms.org. And then you can find us on Rumble and YouTube yes. at Forthright Films for both of those. And we want to especially link to, uh, there was a moving testimony you shared when you were here at Rock County giving a, a, a chapel message. Jimmy Muskrat was giving a, a personal testimony along this trail. And, you, you know, if you could see, I don't know if you saw, but there, there, were, there were some tears out there. And uh, that was especially powerful and moving yeah so Doug thank you for coming thank you thank all of you for listening so check us out www.basicbiblepodcast.org and we'll have all those links on our, on our show note check us out at Twitter and Instagram at Basic Bible Cast so until next week have a good rest of your week <laughs>